Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No the content of this program is meant for educational purposes only because knowledge is power. However, the controversial subject matter discussed may not necessarily reflect the views of this station its management, staff, or its advertisers. Change only happens when we, the people, become part of the solution. That's why more and more patriotic Americans are tuning in to the Power Hour. Now, here's your host, Dave Krieger. And it is 8 a.m. Central Time. For those of you tuning in, welcome to this segment of the Power Hour. One more hour to go, and then I'm going to bid you adieu for the weekend, and hopefully you will have a safe and blessed one. One of the big things that we're concerned about, I talked about this earlier in the show, is the fact that we've got food shortages everywhere. We have planes flying up in the skies, dropping chemicals all over the place. We have chemical companies contaminating and ruining the landscape. And they don't care. It's corporatism at its worst. And of course, there is an author out there named Chris Smage, who has been uh, working, a co-working rather, a small farm in Somerset, Southwest England, for the last 20 years. Previously, he was a university-based social scientist working in the Department of Sociology at the University of Surrey and the Department of Anthropology at Goldsmiths College. Since switching focus to the practice and politics of agroecology, he's written for publications such as The Land, Dark Mountain, Permaculture Magazine, and Statistics Views, as well as academic journals such as Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems in the Journal of Consumer Culture. Chris is the author of A Small Farm Future, writing at the blog smallfarmfuture.org.uk, and is a featured author at resilience.org, for those of you taking notes out there. He's got a new book out called Saying No to a Farm-Free Future. We need farms, Chris Smage, don't we? Uh, yeah, we sure do, yeah. Um, thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, that's very much the argument in my new book. And this is Chelsea Green Publishing that puts your book out, right? That's right, yes. Yeah, both my books um, uh, out with Chelsea Green. So the the focus of the book, 
period, pretty much. I mean, it's an indictment supposedly that cuts through this jargon filled techno worshiping agriculture futurist type of <laughs> narrative that's out there, uh, I guess I could say, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, w one of the main things it takes aim at is um, the manufactured uh, meat or manufactured protein um, industry that's being talked up a lot at the moment. So the idea of using microbial fermentation in, in, in factories in, in stainless steel bioreactors to produce a kind of high-protein um, food product um, and I kind of go through, you know, the arguments, you know, why people are arguing for that, um, and um, why I don't think it's a it's a great a great idea, a great direction for for the food system to go in. When you mess with the ecology, and I mean, you know this, I took ecology in high school, believe it or not, it was a class. <laughs> and see, when you pollute the atmosphere and you chemically contaminate the soil and you do a bunch of things like GMO, which I know is banned in many parts of Europe, uh, when you do stuff like this, uh, you literally, and, and see, so many people have been going to sleep over here, Chris. I know in England, I don't know how they are over there, but over here, there's so many people going to sleep, they should be out there and see our audience is in the know. We get all this because we have smarter, one of the smartest audiences in the world that listen to the show, which is you know one of the reasons why I'm glad you're on here. Uh, even if you are promoting a book, doesn't matter to me. Fact of the matter is, is you're an advocate for everything that these folks stand for. And so, right, you know... Right. You know, what, what encouragement do you offer people as far as, look, you need to get off your duff and start planting. We need to preserve. I mean, you don't want to eat bugs, do you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we face a lot of different um, problems in the, the modern world. And, um, you know, the, the arguments in favor of this kind of manufactured protein idea is that you can produce food with a smaller lamprint than you can on a traditional farm, which um, may or may not be true, but it's a very energy-intensive process. You know, basically we're talking about using generated electricity to split water into, into its parts of hydrogen and oxygen and then use that to feed bacteria to make this protein. Now, you can do that potentially on a smaller land print, but it depends, you know, on your, future, uh, your, your view of energy futures. And, you know, my argument is that, you know, we need to be using clean, low-carbon energy. It's going to be a precious thing in the future, and we can't really do without using the sun to, to energize our food. And, you know, we have to do, like, like you were saying earlier, you know, there's ways of farming badly using lots of agrochemicals, poisoning the earth and so on. Um, we need to move away from that. We need to farm well. And to do that, we kind of need people on the land. You know, we need to be protagonists in our in our local um, local ecologies. You know, we need to be part of the picture. So that's kind of my small farm future argument. Um, you know, is we need to be moving away from dependence on big farms and big industrial systems and kind of taking control of that process as uh, as individuals, households, communities, um, more ourselves in our own patches. So that's kind of what I'm, yeah, the argument I'm, I'm putting forward in my book. So the thing is, is that small farming, I mean, this is almost like what we did back in World War II when everybody was planning victory gardens. 
uh, because it was all part of the war. You know, why do we need the war effort to get a handle on this thing? When, when it comes to a small farm future, which you wrote a, you write a blog about this. What is your mm-hmm. definition as far as I know you, you probably term uh, hectares or acres um, you know, so we can understand that. What's your definition of a small farm as the average person? If you have the right. ability to acquire land, how much land do we really need? Well, I don't like to make a hard and fast definition in terms of acres. I mean, it depends, um, you know, where you are, what the situation is. I mean, bear in mind, most farms worldwide are still small, you know, by by the standards of, you know, here in the UK or in the US, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, couple of acres, uh, five, eight, five acres, whatever, you know, like so many small farmers producing for their needs worldwide. We've sort of moved away from that in the richer countries. But, you know, my argument is that that's very much been based on cheap energy and the easy available availability of capital and urbanization and all of these, um, you know, all, all, all of these trends are kind of going back into the mixer as we face the future. Um, but, you know, it depends, you know, you might be living in a, in a city on a you know small um, apartment block, you know you might not have much space. Even if you just grow some herbs on a windowsill, you know my argument is uh, that makes you a farmer. You know just engage as best you can with producing food locally. Um, you know here where I am, we've we've got a, a holding that's about twenty acres, which you know makes it very small by the standards of modern mechanised farming. But um, you know as I say, bigger than the average farm worldwide. Obviously, if you're in a you know a mountainous or a, a grassland area where you know maybe you're herding livestock, uh, a small farm would be very much bigger than that. So so it all depends. But I think the key thing is is to be tied into uh, you know your own needs, uh, you know the, the needs of your household and the needs of your community to be to be producing good food thoughtfully for for kind of real people who you're interacting with rather than for big global commodity chains that tends to push farming into bigger scale but but yeah but in problematic ways in terms of you know as you were saying earlier the the ecology and the um you know the agrochemicals and the and the fossil fuel use and all the rest of it you know, it's interesting that you make mention of this because there are so many people right now in Europe that are trying to kill the larger scale farms. Have you basically tapped into the underground to see um, how many people are countermanding what the EU and everybody else, all these directives over there, and they're basically rising up on their own and doing their own uh, small farm, small scale farming, as you're suggesting here? Well, it's, yeah, it's complicated. I mean, here in the UK, of course, we've left the EU um, in, within the last uh, few years, and so the whole scene is quite, um, you know, there's quite a lot of chaos in the in the farming scene, and um, you know, lots of different debates about, you know, how we're going to take that forward. In other European countries, you know, they tend to have a slightly smaller agriculture, some of them smaller scale. Than we do here in in the UK or in sort of Western Europe generally, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of alternative farming and people, you know, trying to figure their way out of um, being sort of trapped in the 
existing job market and, you know, housing costs that are kind of going through the roof and, you know, various alternative organisations. You know, here in the UK, we've got the Land Workers Alliance, which is part of an international group, La Via Campesina, you know, the the peasant way, which is... um, sort of trying to rethink food systems in terms of food sovereignty. You know, again, this idea of local communities um, taking charge of how they want to produce their food and their livelihood. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, but, you know, it, it it is a little bit sort of underground in some ways. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of people doing good things, but it's still a little bit, um, um, you know, marginal to the mainstream. And, um, you know, part of my writing really is to, you know, a lot of people dismiss it as a kind of little bit of a kind of hippie um, sideshow to the, you know, to the real business of farming. And, you know, my argument basically is that this is going to become mainstream, you know, because the the, the mainstream um, model isn't really going to work long term. So the more that we can amplify and, and, and share stories and learn from each other, the better, in my opinion. So the thing is, is that over here in America, we have a lot of community farms starting to spring up all over the place. I know where I'm at. The uh, the city that I'm nearest to actually has about a half acre that they have completely fenced in and people actually rent a plot of ground if they don't have good ground and they're actually growing food, plants, herbs, and potentially right. groceries, you know, I mean, this is a sort of thing as a community effort, I think is working, but, uh, you know, those who right. have access, you know, I, I'm doing the greenhouse thing here. Um, you know, we're just, I, I seem right. to be having better luck, uh, doing raised bed gardening. Have you found one kind of system of gardening better than another? Um, I mean, not really. You know, there's so many different um, ways of doing it, and everybody, you know, has their has their preferred way. I mean, we tend to use um, a, a sort of minimum tillage system, and um, we use uh, wood chip compost in our um, in our market garden. But you know, it all depends on you know. Uh, where you are and sort of what what kind of labor you have available and so on but i do think you know the important thing that you mentioned is the the fruit and veg you know like generally we've become too reliant on the big um commodity crops you know corn soy wheat and so on and um you know we eat too many of those and, and not enough fruit and veg and if you give people like you say it's about giving ordinary people access to land to grow food you know that's a really key thing that we need to fight for and when people do that they tend to diversify you know into more um garden crops fruit and veg which we know is 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 good for us and it builds in um you know builds in resilience to the food system so um you know i think the thing to do is for people to to learn those skills because of course you know a lot of people now don't really know how to garden so i'd say you know Find, get access to land, fight for access to land, learn some gardening skills and experiment, um, you know, uh, and um, figure out systems that work, you know, for you personally where you are. Um, you know, there's lots of ways of doing it. Um, but the key thing is just to be doing something, really. What is your take? And this is something that's really big over here. And a lot of people now, they understand about, especially my listeners, about pork being contaminated with this mRNA technology and they they're very adamant about eating pork now 
And they're afraid that red meat is going to start becoming a target of these technocrats. And, um, <laughs> you know, some people, they say, look, uh, we'd like to have a few head of cattle uh, so that we know that we're, you know, we have grass fed beef here. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, have you woven any of that into the sustainable food systems you discuss? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, there's a whole chapter in my book about livestock. Um, uh, in fact, yeah, both my books, and, you know, there's a lot more I, I, I would like to have uh, um, said about it if I'd, if I'd had more space. Um, I mean, you know, most small-scale, low-energy farming systems worldwide use livestock, and, you know, and we need to start thinking about them not only as sources of meat or milk or eggs or whatever, but actually as, as, as kind of helpers on the farm. You know, that's the sort of key role for them to, to cycle nutrients on the farm and then we skim off um, you know some of the, the, the products um, but yeah the large-scale meat industry is um, you know is pretty horrendous in many ways and, and, and you know we need to change it radically I, I think one of the problems is we then get into this very uh, black and white sort of debate that um, you know we shouldn't have livestock at all and that's kind of what I talk about a bit in the book, you know, there is a role for livestock, but we need to do it differently. Um, and, you know, definitely we need to give a boost to small-scale farmers who are, who are farming in, you know, with livestock in, in thoughtful ways. Um, I mean, you know, I raise a little bit of livestock on, on my farm and, and tend to try and use rare breeds, you know, the old varieties that maybe, uh, you know, don't put meat on as quickly as the modern commercial varieties, but they've got more kind of resilience, better taste, you know, better ability to, um, you know, to be outside part of the, the wider agro ecosystem. So, so, yeah, you know, really try to connect with people who are, um, are thinking about livestock, you know, not, not just as a, a, a way Way of kind of maximizing the meat and, and maximizing value but but you know but fitting livestock into your local ecology and, and, and really get behind those kind of farmers because I think they're going to be important in the future so the thing is you've got people in New Zealand all their public officials over there claiming there should be a fart tax um, <laughs> I mean, you, you have to have taken issue with some of this logic. I mean, to me, it's illogical uh, because, well, they produce methane and that's bad for the carbon footprint. And I mean, all these lame excuses. I mean, obviously, you've studied this stuff. <laughs> what, what's your take on all yeah. this stupidity? It is stupid, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the methane argument gets very, very complicated. Um, but yeah, you know, my I guess my argument is that we focus. Um, I mean, there's there's two aspects to livestock. There's the there's the methane argument, and then there's the kind of um, the land footprint. You know, the, the the fact that livestock tend to take up a bigger area of land. Um, you know, per per unit of nutrition. The methane thing is really complicated, but um, I mean, my argument in the book is that, um, yeah, we really need to be focusing on the energy system, you know, on, on fossil fuels. Um, you know, that's, that's where the real big um, uh, greenhouse gas um, source of pollution is. If we cut that, then it starts to make us, you know, it means that we have to develop um, a, a kind of more local energy economy, and that's where farming then fits in, and, and we can we can make our livestock farming um, work better. 
Um, you know, it's it, it's kind of like um, it's the, the problems with the livestock farming are, are in some ways a kind of um, uh, an effect of the problems in the energy system. So I think, um, yeah, on the methane side, um, you know, if you're not expanding um, your herds of ruminants massively, um, you know, my view is that um, the methane argument is overplayed. And, um, yeah, we, you know, we shouldn't be focusing overly on livestock. The real um, the real thing we should be focusing on is um, uh, fossil fuel use. Um, and, again, in terms of the footprint of livestock, Again, that's the argument that we need to kind of relocalize our food systems. And if you do that, you get a pretty good sense of the impact that livestock are having locally. And you can figure out um, good ways of integrating them with, um, you know, the local ecology and local food production. You know, you do have to keep an eye uh, on, on, on livestock farming and, and make sure that it's... Um, you know, that it's not causing um, too much damage or spreading out too much. But that, you know, again, as I say, that, that's why the argument for, for relocalization is so important, that we're actually conscious of the impacts of our farming locally. But, yeah, you're right. I think the, um, you know, the, the, the kind of idea that we can really redress climate change and some of these kind of big global issues like that by radically cutting meat, um, you know, I, there's arguments, you know, it, it, I, I talk about it a bit in my book, it's, it's kind of hard to lay it out in simple terms um, in a few sentences, but, you know, I think that argument is overplayed. So, yeah, I kind of agree with the, 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 the gist of your question. Um, you know, we need to be fitting livestock into local farming systems, and, you know, that's the main thing, not to worry overly about, um, you know, global methane footprints and so on. I mean, we do need to worry about global methane. Um, but we need to, uh, you know, we need we need to not be pointing the finger specifically at, at, at ruminants as a key way to um, to redress it. For sure, the um, phone lines are open. By the way, eight four four seven six nine two nine four four. We have Chris Smage on the phone from England, and so uh, you know, I know our farm girl from Indiana is going to chime in here. And you have questions, Darlene in Indiana. Go ahead. I, we kicked pretty much the guys that knew about agriculture out of the colleges in 76, William Albright being one of them. And really, I guess, does his book address nutrient-dense food? Because we're never going to heal our country if we don't get the nutrients back in the soil. Good question. Do I address nutrient-dense food? Um yeah, I mean, in the um, in my new book, I'm focusing more on um, sort of criticising this idea of uh, of a farm free future. You know, <laughs> um, um, so you know, I, I I don't go into the nutrient side of it a huge amount. But what I do argue for is mixed farming, which I think is kind of what um, you know is 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 what's at stake here. So having um, you know, a good mix of livestock and crops um, and, and, you know, diversity in, in the farm system. Um, and, yeah, I agree, you know, we need to fundamentally, we need to look after the soils um, and, you know, and that involves um, uh, kind of good mixed farming systems. I mean, obviously, it depends exactly where you are. And, uh, you know, most places, historically, people figured out uh, an agriculture, a kind of low 
energy input local agriculture that that um took place took care of the soil or or at least you know potentially they did uh, you know some places have done a better job of looking after their soils than others but you know we we kind of know how to do it um so yeah i do touch on that in the book but you know it's a it's a short book i don't go into that the, the sort of nutritional and the the the, the kind of soil um side of it in great detail any right, other thought? You. you bet. Thanks, Darlene, for your call. We appreciate that. See, the, the name of the book is The Case for an Ecological uh, Food System and Against Manufactured Foods. That's right. Yeah. That's the subtitle. Yeah, the title is Saying No to a Farm-Free Future. Yep. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm glad, and this is the thing. We we don't, you, I, you basically just don't want the bugs. Uh, this is what everybody <laughs> in, in the tech, world of technocracy thinks that, but see, here's the thing. When you start disrupting the thing that bugs feed on, um, you know, I, you have science, you have God. I mean, everybody's looking at at the balance between the two and, and saying, you know, the kind of questions we were put here to be good stewards of our land. And if we're allowing people like Monsanto and, and people like this Roundup and all this other garbage and GMO, I mean, Monsanto's been at the at the footprint of that ever since, you know, time began. And if their GMO crop permeates, I mean, there's another good reason not to grow corn. Uh, but the thing is, is that there has been a reason for growing what we've been growing at a point in time in history. And I'm, I'm trying to piece all this together in my own mind. You know, what you brought up, um, Chris, the issue of the fruits and vegetables, more of the green vegetables mm-hmm. and getting away from corn and soy. And it, you, right. this is the part about being against manufactured foods because that's causing the real health issues. Is it not eating that stuff? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of concern at the, at the minute about um, ultra-processed food. And that's the thing about, you know, a lot of these big global commodity crops. I mean, I think the figure is something like, 60 to 70 percent of uh, global cropland is devoted to just 10 crops, you know, six of which are cereals and a couple of grain legumes. And, you know, the reason that we grow those crops in, in such quantity is because they're very easily processable, very easily mechanizable, you know, and very easily transportable. So they fit big global commodity chains. But, you know, that's why I come back to my argument about the need to take charge of local food systems and produce, you know, what we know is good for us locally and, and you know, in farm systems that we know work locally rather than, um, you know, just devoting more and more cropland to producing these kind of crops. And the other side of it that I touch on a little bit in the book is the sort of overproduction, you know, that these we've got this sort of mechanisation and these, you know, big global trading systems that force prices down which then forces farmers to use more inputs, often, you know, polluting problematic agrochemical inputs or to expand production onto more land, you know, in, in order to keep afloat financially and then find ways to, um, uh, you, you know, we, we basically overproduce these commodity crops and then we're trying to find ways, What you know, what can we do with all this stuff? We can, you know, try and trade it on global markets or feed it to livestock or make biofuels and, you know, we're kind of caught in this, 
um, big loop of overproduction that's that's damaging, you know, it's damaging human health and it's damaging the, um, uh, you know, the nature. So we need to kind of step off that, and that's where the the local food systems come in, which are actually about producing uh, food that's good for us locally. I mean, for sure, wheat and corn and soy have their place in that, but yeah, we need to be growing more more fruit and vegetables, more thoughtfully raised livestock that fit into those systems and all the rest of it. Yeah, all this makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you came up with the idea to write this book saying no to a farm-free future because we cannot allow corporate America to come in here and uh, and all these policies of the technocrats to come in here and dictate to us what we're doing, which is one of the reasons why, you know, we have people like Marjorie Wildcraft and the Grow Network here at the Power Hour to teach people how to have a green thumb. And so your book just right. goes right along with that. Where can they get your book? Um, it's just come out. I think it's about to come out in um, in uh, the U.S. Um, uh, so you can buy it. Uh, direct from the publisher, Chelsea Green, their website, chelseagreen.com, or you can get it um, in any bookstore, um, uh, you know, preferably your local independent bookstore. Uh, it's available as a paperback um, and as an e-book and as an audio book as well. So lots of different ways of, um, of accessing it. Sure. Now, it's already out in the UK, but it's going to be released, as a matter of fact, today. And that's one of the reasons okay, why. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm looking at the dates here. I'm paying attention to this, Chris. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you coming Sorry, on the show. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> I've yeah, been in Chelsea a bit of a Green, world yeah. of doing... <laughs> yeah, yeah we, I've we, been we out in them. the UK for a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, um, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in UK um, mode, my head is. But, yeah, that's great. Yep, today, publication date in the U.S., Popular guy on campus there. Chris Smage, thank you so much for being on the show and having a conversation from across the pond. We appreciate that, and good luck with the book. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the end of this break. We'll be back with more news in your phone calls after these words. Stay with us. iComplex CS is a comprehensive natural medicine formula to nourish and heal eye tissue formulated by a board-certified MD ophthalmologist, Dr. Robert Abel. Why you need vitamins for your eyesight? 
There is a direct and proven physiological connection between the nutrients we put into our body and the quality of our eyesight. Some vitamins for eyesight can be absorbed from the food we eat, but other vital nutrients cannot, especially if you're not eating a daily, nutritionally balanced diet. Additional supplements are essential for optimal eye health as well as your overall physical health. With 23 vitamins and nutrients such as N-acetylcysteine, which is important for removing toxic substances from the liver, this, the most complete clinical strength eye and total body multivitamin available in one supplement. Call the Power Mall at 877-817-9829 or order online at thepowermall.com. Hi, it's Joy Schwiley with the Power Hour. There's something really fun and exciting about discovering products that make life more pleasant and enjoyable. Well, Miracle 2 soaps definitely fit that description. The shelves at the supermarket are packed with soaps and cleansers that are full of chemicals that slowly destroy our health and the environment. Miracle 2 products are all natural, like the green soap that can replace your bath, laundry, household soaps, and cleaning products. And please try Miracle 2's skin lotion. It's quickly absorbed and not greasy like all those other mass-produced lotions. Miracle 2 moisturizer is full of fabulous oils and emollients that leave the skin healthy and baby soft. I guarantee after you discover how amazing Miracle 2 products are, you'll recommend them to everyone you know. Just call 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. Or visit thepowermall.com. You'll learn why so many people say it's not just soap, it's a miracle. Boost your immune system naturally this year with oil of oregano, a potent germ killer. This is the true wild oregano oil P73, a blend of edible spices of wild oregano grown on natural mineral-rich soils. Research published in the International Journal of Food Microbiology found that oil of oregano is an excellent germicide capable of killing a wide range of fungi and bacteria. Get it today by visiting thepowermall.com or calling 877-817-9829. My husband is a welder by trade, but he grinds his welding products, and uh, he doesn't wear a helmet or a mask to do that. And he had this cruddy stuff in his lungs, and it just wasn't going away. And I heard you one time talking about the Sarah enzyme for the lungs, and uh, my goodness, I mean, he can breathe so much easier, and I don't hear that crud in his lungs. Thank you so very much. To find out more about this product or other like it go to our website at thepowermall.com that's thepowermall.com call 877-817-9829 that number again is 877-817-9829 jay's standing by to take your call now more than ever we need your support buy from the good guys at thepowermall.com that's thepowermall.com the power hour is an independent radio show We are funded by people who appreciate our work, not by ads or algorithms. Your support is key to the continuation of this broadcast. To show your support so that we can continue to bring you unbiased information that is now more vital than ever, please visit thepowerhour.com and click support us. You can also place a donation by phone by calling 877-817-9829. We thank you for any amount of support that you're able to give. Yes, friend. And you are my friend. 
Welcome back to the Power, power Hour. To the people. Where knowledge is power. power to the I have a little plastic Ono band here on this, what do you call that, a feel-good Friday? I know many of you aren't feeling good. Maybe it's because all the crap you're eating. Who knows? I don't know. See, we are just talking about that processed, ultra-processed food. We all have it in our diet. I know. It's like, God, I got that, that bag of cookies. I got to have, you know, animal crackers. I got to, and see, a lot of us are eating wheat, we're eating bread. It's a constant. It's a staple. A lot of us have gluten intolerance. I mean, literally, I mean, this thing is a mess because we relied on our government and the farms in corporate America to take care of us. And this is what we end up with. So that's one of the reasons why we had Chris Smage on the program. We appreciate him. And hopefully you'll go out and and get a copy of the book so you can read uh, his arguments against all of this. The IRS, by the way, has come out with a notice to storm victims in four states, telling them they must file their federal income tax returns and pay any taxes owed by the end of the month or face the consequences. This year, most taxpayers were required to file by April 18th, which was a deadline for paying taxes that were owed. However, the agency granted special relief. Oh, we're going to give you a special relief to taxpayers affected by federally declared disasters in various regions in the form of filing and payment due date extensions. Well, now you have to pay or we're going to send a SWAT team to your house. (laughs) Face the consequences. What exactly are those consequences? (laughs) They are going to give you penalties and interest. And if you won't pay, we're going to come and pay you a visit and intimidate you. Wow. You know, here's more folly. You get New York City, who claims it's a sanctuary city. Mayor Eric Adams is warning illegal aliens, handing out flyers, if you will, not to travel and resettle. He is going, they're sending representatives down to the U.S.-Mexico border and handing out flyers to these people, telling, please, don't come to New York City. The cost of housing is high, and they're not guaranteed shelter or care. And the reason he's doing it, because since the spring of last year, more than 90,000 border crossers and illegal aliens have arrived in New York City. The majority, about 55,000, are living off local taxpayers in city-run hotel rooms, shelters, and other facilities. Well, like Forrest Gump used to say, stupid is as stupid does. (laughs) Yeah, we have a top criminal court in Oklahoma has ruled that a defendant convicted of a murder in 2021 is entitled to a new trial. Why? Because the judge and one of the prosecutors had a prior sexual relationship. No can do that. We don't allow that. I move on now to the Second Amendment. And you are going to love this. I got to get Jeff in North Carolina on the phone with me. Jeff, you're an ex-vet. Thanks for your service. I, I got to tell you this. I, I want you on the phone to get your comment about what I'm going to talk about here. Um, the ATF, the, the ATF has gotten roasted on Twitter for posting a range photo. Now, you know what the range is. Here's an agent for the ATF breaking gun safety rules. And there's a picture that has been circulating all over Twitter that on Wednesday, the Houston office of the BATF and, you know, they tweeted a photo of ATF Austin agents. Now, these are people near where I am. They're at the gun range. 
And do you know what the term flagging is? Um, yeah, but, but tell, tell me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, the term flagging, according to all of the gun training experts out there, is agents who are on the wrong side of the loading table with at least one gun pointed at themselves. This guy had what looked like an AR-15 pointed directly at his cojones. He's on the wrong side of the loading table, and somebody got a picture of him, and he's sitting there apparently examining a weapon, but he's got a fully loaded weapon pointing straight at his crotch. These are the people that the United States government is sending out to combat we the people. Uh, What's your take on that? Well, well, Dave, you know, I I have lost. You you said this. You said this yourself. Um, You know, you have got absolute lunatics and mentally deranged people floating around out here um, in all these all these different positions of authority and these uh, ATF or, or, or whatever whatever they are. So you, that makes me feel real comfortable. Let me tell you what I, that uh, I, we, we've got agents like this floating around, um, totally mentally deranged, retarded people. I, I, I um, as a veteran, as an ex-veteran, I appreciate that you bringing that up, Dave, and I thank you for your service too. Um, well, I, um, Andy, <laughs> that's my, why they only gave Barney Fife one bullet. <laughs> It's like we're in the twilight zone. Every every day something happens, Dave, that with, with someone or, or some person or or whatever. Just thinks we're in a makes me think that we're in another episode of, of the twilight zone. I mean, I have no faith. My only faith is in God. I mean, truthfully, Dave, my faith. Uh, these people out here floating around are mentally deranged. A lot of them. That that's really. I, I don't know how better I can put that, Dave. <laughs> no, you you hit it. <laughs> nail you hit the nail on the head. And see all of these people, this is the the media putting out the intimidation factor about you know, well they look at another IRS raid, all these tactical IRS agents that probably are just another version of Barney Fife um that could shoot themselves in the foot literally. I wouldn't I would think that IRS agents have not been trained to engage like we were trained in the military where you're in a firefight and people are learning to cover for each other. I really think these agents that are out there have no military type skills to deal with what could be a perceived onslaught of people who are actually prepared, ready to retaliate when they show up. They're basically relying on the element of surprise and intimidation by all these guys jumping out of a SWAT truck or a cattle car or whatever the case may be, uh, going all Waco style on somebody's home or business. And that's what they're relying on is intimidation factor, not tactical maneuver factor, because I don't think they have any, frankly. 
Yeah, well, you hit it. You hit it exactly, Dave. You hit it exactly right. It's about intimidation and fear. And if they can get that in somebody's mind, you know, when they come up on them or something, they say, oh, my God, I don't know what we're going to do. The IRS agents are here. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? So, it, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. But let me let me bring this up real quick, Dave. You just made me think about this. It's like the uh, you're talking about the military training and so forth. It's like NATO sending all these um, – supposedly has trained all these Ukrainian troops with our equipment and all this stuff and and they're and they're getting wiped out. Russia's wiping them out. So what what kind of training did they get? Yeah, I remember when they were over training Afghanistan and their army and the Iraqi army and half of these guys would have been washed out of basic training in our own military. I mean, this is just nuts. Half of them and they were all being paid. These Afghani rebels were being paid to train, uh, being trained by our guys who just stood around and watched them, uh, you know, screw up. It was it was a constant. Half of them didn't even show up. They were getting paid, and half the time they didn't even show up for training. And when they did, it was so minuscule. Half these guys, it was reported, uh, got their paycheck and basically just kind of sat down on the job, refused to do anything they were yeah. told. I mean, this is just nuts. And nobody knew about any of this stuff, how many billions of dollars went to training an Afghan army that was virtually useless. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, and you know something, Dave? Um, I, um, you know, our our commander-in-chief, the, the, utter, the, the buffoon, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> uh, sent it sending our um you know our troops over there into Syria and in the the Middle East and uh, into Ukraine and everything else you know sending them over there for what to get to get slaughtered i guess right i mean i guess if he wanted to just have our troops just slaughtered i, I mean i mean how how better i don't know how else i can say it you know well here again jeff they're going over there, and if they are indeed going to get slaughtered, you have all those troops over there that aren't going to be able to come back and procreate in America now, are they? Oh, no. No, no, not at all. Not be able to procreate. After, I mean, after all, you know they've all been back, so they're all ready to go, right? They're all, <laughs> oh, yeah, they're all ready you to go. go, you know, for sure, wow. right? Sorry about that, Jeff. I overlooked that little part of the equation. Yeah, well, let's go over there and have a little case of myocardial infarction, why don't we? Oh, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I really it, – doesn't it make you feel good that we're just so protected and so looked at after right now by our great leaders and the buffoon uh, chief in charge? That, doesn't it make you feel good that we're so uh, – we've got so such good security around us and our military's got our back? That, doesn't it make you feel good right now? Well, you know what? After having Tom Homan on the show yesterday and asking him, are we safe? And he said no. No, I don't feel comfortable at all. No, I'm telling you what. <laughs> well, hey, man, hey, Dave, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. You, you have a good weekend. It's always good you to talk to you, same. and uh, God bless you. God bless you, too, Jeff. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. Uh, under surveillance state news, the U.N. ambassador to Beijing, Nicholas Burns, was reportedly one of the American officials whose emails were accessed in a recent Chinese hacking attack, which even took Washington by surprise because of its sophistication. <laughs> Another target was Daniel Crichton Brink, the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia. 
when the attack was first disclosed last week in the Wall Street Journal, the administration admitted the email amount or the email account of the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, had also been compromised. I mean, can you imagine that? U.S. officials being quoted as saying those were the three most senior targets, but in total, hundreds of thousands of government email accounts could have been breached. Folks, Tom Homan was right. We aren't safe. Brady in Vegas, are you going to tell me all about uh, nanoparticles again, or you got a new thing to tell me? Uh, I guess I'm going to tell you about nanoparticles again, Dave. No, we don't. We don't want to hear that again, Brady. Come on, tell me something I don't know. I'll, I'll call you back on Monday then. No, hang on. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> this, this is real. This is really good because uh, Dr. Pablo Compra, the guy from the fifth column, that guy should be given the Pulitzer Prize for medicine, just like Dr. Brian Artis, because they were giving the uh, the new injections, the death shots, now to the cattle over in Italy. And these are the same ones that they want to give the kids four months old, eight months, and then 12 months to spread the shots out within four months of each other, starting at four months. But they gave all these cows the mRNA injections over there. They were going to study them the next day. But when they came back the next day to study the cows, uh, they were all dead. They were horizontal. They are horizontal yep. cows, Dave. There and you go. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good thing. But um, I did hear one of the probably the best things ever that came out, how to get rid of COVID or long COVID symptoms. Basically, it's a bioweapon symptoms. But this is what everybody needs to do if you have any long COVID symptoms. It's very, very right. important. Go to your supermarket, Walmart, wherever you can. Go buy the 7-milligram nicotine patches and oh, stick yeah. them on I've your heard body. That. Yeah, Brian, Brian Artis came out with that. Uh, that was one of the things he said that, you know, people who were smokers were less likely to get that. Uh, we have Paratrex at the Power Mall, Brady, for those of you in detoxidine who want to order some of that if you have long COVID. There are other protocols that are out there, and uh, we appreciate your call. Um, I love it when everybody says go to Walmart and buy, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> kind of defeats our purpose for having the Power Mall open, you know. Uh, here's some other news. How many acres do you need for a horse? Two acres. If you said two acres, you got that right. Horses are huge animals. This isn't something that you can get wrong. Uh, if you want to own a horse, you need typically at least two acres of land for that, for a single horse to provide them with adequate grazing and room for exercise. So if you have several horses, you only need an additional acre per horse, but you've got to allocate extra room for a barn or other shelter because they need that too. How to grow broccoli. Well, there's a guide out there that we have for those of you who are interested. And all you have to do, if you have the Internet, is subscribe to our email blast to get it. It's that simple. Um, we've got a couple of other news stories of late here that I want to try to get to. Of course, the phone lines are still open. Um, there's a Jordanian farm that shows it's possible to grow vegetables in the unlikeliest of places using lo-fi tech that's widely available. It's called the Sahara Forest Project. It's showing how farming can adapt to the challenges of climate change and water scarcity. This futuristic farm is just getting started in the middle of the desert. Imagine that. <laughs> wow. And good news, since we have a Feel Good Friday thing going on here, this year's annual convention for the American Veterinary Medical Association 
has turned into a medical care drive for the companion animals of the homeless in the Denver area. In partnership with the Street Dog Coalition and a number of corporate sponsors, the event held over last weekend allowed anyone to bring in an animal to receive a free health check, vaccinations, and essential supplies to take home with them. Now, of course, if you have an animal and you trust these vaccinations, you see, that's the thing. Um, I, I got to wonder whether or not it's all what it's cracked up to be, because, you know, you got to analyze that. They are veterinarians. They're in the business to make money, and there aren't too many of them. Seems like veterinarians. That's why we've aligned ourselves with Dr. Karen Becker. Yep, The Forever Dog is the name of the book. And, of course, you can uh, talk to us at the Power Mall. We'll hook you up with that. Sherry in Kansas, any last-minute comments here? Yes, what you just said about two acres for a horse, you you cannot, that's crap, because it really depends on, you know, your land, how big the animal is, and two acres is not going to, around here, they say eight to ten acres for a a horse, and we're not talking about a pony. And out in the yeah. West, for their their cows, you know, it's... Ah, it depends. Okay. If you've got poor ground, you know, that's that's just crap. Okay. And uh, you're going to have to buy hay. All right. Yeah, you are. Let me, let me give you the reference. It's called The Homesteading Hippie, which is where this article came from. And, uh, you know, it looks like in this picture she's got more than two acres. But, um, you know, we're talking overcrowding and stress, and I guess it does matter where you are. Um, but they talk and, about and what kind of land is And it depends on summer best. grass or winter grass. There I mean, you if you, go. There's, there's grasses that get too tough and not palatable for the grazing animal, um, which is the kind of grass I've got on my property. After uh, the first week in July, uh, their cows won't even... You know, they don't find it palatable. They can't convert it. So that's just ah. crap. Okay, Sherry. Anyway. Sherry. <laughs> calm yes. down. Sherry, I thank you for rebutting my comment. Because, see, if you weren't listening and you didn't call the show and exercise your freedom of speech and tell me the, re the way it really is and tell me that this article that I'm reading from is totally incorrect and is total garbage, uh the rest of our listeners wouldn't know that. So we appreciate you chiming in this morning. Thank you so much for that. I like it when people call up and you got rebuttals to what I'm talking about. If I'm wrong, call me up bloody hell and change my mind. <laughs> you see, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. What's made there. That's the kind of chutzpah that you need. If you're going to get on and, and converse here, because maybe this information is wrong and you can convince me otherwise. Sherry came up with some very palatable arguments here. You know, first off, and I've had horses before, and I just, after, after I got them, I wondered, why did I do this? Why did I get a horse? I built horse stalls, did all this stuff. Why do I need a horse? I'm not pulling a plow. I mean, that's what the Amish use horses for. If they don't use electricity, why, why, why do I need a horse? I mean, this is a rich man, like, like piloting. It's a rich man's plaything. It's a habit. It's a hobby. You know, why do I want a horse? There's reasons for having them, but I, I don't, not in my life. I'm sorry. I'd rather have cows than horses. Uh, chiming in with what Chris Mage was saying earlier. I, I just don't see a need for horses right now. 
I, I know you're going to beat me up and tell me that I'm being heartless. And, you know, I, you horse lovers out there, I get it. Well, Wilbur, you know, it's feel good Friday out there, right? The FDA, by the way, has approved emergence biosolutions anthrax vaccine for use in adults aged 18 through 65. The vaccine is called Syphendis. Yeah. It's been approved for use following suspected or confirmed exposure to a type of bacteria and has to be administered together with antibacterial drugs. Oh, okay. Let's rationalize the hell out of that, shall we? You get a vaccine, and what does it supposedly have in it? Some sort of derivative of anthrax. Wow. You run out and get the, get the jab, get the anthrax shot, even though you haven't been exposed, right? And then you have to administer it together with antibacterial drugs, which more than likely break down your body's immune system. Really? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, they really want to kill people. The FDA is not your friend, folks. And by the way, do you know that a new study out, you want to take issue with this, study finds that espresso could help prevent Alzheimer's, which, by the way, sadly, for those of you Tony Bennett fans out there who left their hearts in San Francisco, along with everything else and all the homeless people there, passed away at 96 of Alzheimer's disease, just so you know, just happened, just the news is in, he died of Alzheimer's. I don't know if he remembered his family or not at their bedside. Uh, but, you know, even an espresso martini, according to reports, not only gives you a jolt of energy, but may prevent Alzheimer's. <laughs> well, that just gives me a good reason to go out and have another espresso martini. <laughs> okay. I, we just had to have a little humor at the end of this thing. And not only that, you remember the vapors, Jewel? The vaping product, the high-tech vaping product made by Juul, they're now asking the FDA to uh, get federal authorization for a new high-tech electronic cigarette that can electronically verify a user's age and prevent the use of illicit, counterfeit, and unauthorized pot refills. Can you believe it? Look what they're doing now. You talk about surveillance state. Juul said the new device can connect to a web or smartphone app that uses third-party verification. Oh, there you have it. They want to ensure the users are adults. Device locking, all that. Yeah, imagine that. Well, pretty soon they'll have third-party verification to see if whoever gets behind the wheel of a car has a driver's license that hadn't been suspended yet. Folks, we're moving in this direction. We the people got to shut this stuff off. You got it? <laughs> wow. For all the news we didn't cover today, you can hit our email blast. We'll be uh, putting it in your inbox. Now that we're back in business here at the Power Hour of the Power Mall. In the meantime, you have yourself a blessed and great weekend. We will see you again on Monday here on the Power Hour. Dave Krieger saying God bless you. God bless what's left of the United States of America. Stand up and fight for it. See you Monday. And the lover of my soul. Harmful organisms are everywhere affecting your health and well-being. Fortunately, there's a solution. 
Paratrax is a unique formula designed to help create an environment that's hostile to invading organisms. Made with a blend of herbs and other natural ingredients such as wormwood, which has often been used in traditional medicine as a dewormer. If unwanted organisms are affecting your health, Paratrex can help bring it all back in balance. Order today from thepowermill.com or call 877-817-9829. Are you tired of trying to figure out how to get all your fruits and vegetables into your busy lifestyle? OptiVita Complete Essentials provides you with 22 whole food vitamins and minerals, 29 fruits and vegetables, probiotics, antioxidants, and botanicals for ultimate health and nutrition. 30 individual packs, now less than $3 per day. Get your OptiVita Complete Essentials by calling 877-817-9829 or order online at thepowermall.com. I don't know where to start. There's so many products you guys offer. I think one of the first things I ever ordered from you guys was your clay. The clay is miraculous. I could not do without that. And the charcoal... You know, you can get yourself in a bathtub to kind of help take the, the toxins out. So just those two alone, but I could go on to the Octavita Silver Lozenges. Of course, then the Oregoresp and the uh, P73, the oil of oregano, and your Vitamir toothpaste. Again, I could go on and on and on. Call Jay at thepyramall.com and receive superior customer service. Call 1-877-817-9829 right now. That number again is 1-877-817-9829. Support small businesses and buy from the good guys at thepyramall.com. That's thepyramall.com. My husband is a welder by trade, but he grinds his welding product, and uh, he doesn't wear a helmet or a mask to do that. And he had this cruddy stuff in his lungs, and it just wasn't going away. And I heard you one time talking about the Sarah enzyme for the lungs. And uh, my goodness, I mean, he can breathe so much easier. And I don't hear that crud in his lungs. Thank you so very much. To find out more about this product or others like it, go to our website at thepowermall.com. That's thepowermall.com. Call 877-817-9829. That number again is 877-817-9829. 9829. Jay's standing by to take your call. Now more than ever, we need your support. Buy from the good guys at thepowermall.com. That's thepowermall.com. 